Welcome to today's webinar compiled and produced by the team at biznews.com. All of our webinars are interactive. We encourage you to pose questions to our guests. The more challenging, the better. And the earlier you get the questions in, the better the chance of having them answered. The recording of this webinar will be available later today on the biznews.com channel on YouTube. Well, uh, my, my humblest and sincere apologies for being a few minutes late today. What happened was uh, we've got this fancy new Ethernet uh, cable that uh, I plugged in, and of course, it didn't work. It worked on Thursday. <laughs> it worked when we tested, but it didn't work today. Nevertheless, we are here a few minutes late, so we'll uh, give it a little bit longer for today's Rational Radio webinar. The way we are going to be handling it today, uh, we kick off with David Shapiro and uh, Adrian Saville, our two market commentators, uh, to pick up on what's been happening in the past week. Uh, David and uh, Adrian, that's your cue to switch on your uh, web uh, your webcam so that we can see you, please. There we go. David knows. I'm sure Adrian will join us in just a moment. Uh, and then... Uh, after that, we have got Basil Skordos, who's the Group FD of NASPERS, standing by. I know he's with us because we've seen him on screen already, uh, and he'll be taking us through some of the big issues of a company, Dave, that is, well, all important, all critical to South African shareholders. In a big way, and has been for a long time. I mean, it's it's one of the major success stories of um you know, over the past few years and of, South, of the South African market. I mean, it's an incredible success story. Um, taken over, NASPERS today has taken over from the Anglo-Americans that we used to know during the mining booms. You know, to now today it's uh, it, it's it's all about uh, process and NASPERS and, of course, Tencent. So I think there are enormous um, number of questions that we have to ask, and that's why I think it's going to be a fascinating session. Because it's not only about what's happening now, it's what's likely to happen in the future. And and this is a world player. So I think uh, it's just going to be such a broad, you know, such 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 a broad conversation. We are looking forward to it. But before we get into that, our general manager, Stuart Lohman, looks after this webinar and makes sure that everything's working as it should. Stu, do you want to take us through the uh, vital statistics? <laughs> Thanks, Alec, and welcome, David and Adrian. Um, just quickly, if you can see Alec, David, and Adrian on screen and hear my voice for the presentation, the little high five option on your control panel. If you can give us a few high fives, then at least I know everything's coming through loud and clear. There we go. Alec, we've got a couple of those coming through, which is always good to see. Um, Alec, we, uh, sorry, we also like to keep it quite conversational. Um, as Alec said, there's little questions dropped on, on that same control panel. If you put your questions in there, Alec can pass them on as he goes through the discussion. But all good this side, Alec. Brilliant. Adrian, uh, from your perspective, I don't know if you're a NASPERS fan or not, but I guess all South Africans, given that it's 21% of the JC All Share Index, uh, NASPERS process, have to be interested in what happens to this company and indeed its share price. Yeah, indeed. Uh, if you are um, a passive investor or an active investor, uh, this uh, the, the the size, stature, growth, success of the business has to uh, matter to uh, to your portfolio. And uh, for you know for active investors, if you're trying to beat a benchmark of which uh, uh, NASPERS and process are massive components, you've got to have a very clear view, uh, you know, on whether you want these in or out. And if you are a passive investor where you just want to own the index, you have very healthy doses. Uh, I love David's reference to, you know, this uh, This is today's Anglos that, you know, if we rewind 20, 30, 40 years, 
if you owned the JSC, you owned the Anglos. Um, oh, it might have been the other way around, hey, Dave? Um, <laughs> but uh, you, you, you cannot possibly describe yourself as a South African investor without having a view and or exposure to these two global uh, global uh, businesses, which uh, and I think the word giant belongs uh, in those in that description. Oh, Adrian, I was hoping we would have some real clear audio from you today, but it seems as though the new mic is it not working that well. We're getting a bit no, of feedback on us. You got I it there. Yes. You must tell him to plug it in, though, Alec. You must tell him. You mustn't just hold it. You must plug it in. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next time round we'll do that. Um, Dave, last week mm. we had quite a big story on BizNews that we followed it uh, through to its ultimate conclusion. The authorities came out with an announcement, including exchange-traded funds, in a releasing of exchange control, effectively. Uh, it then there, there was uh, a backtracking, according to Magda uh, Wizikcha and uh, Magnus Haystack. Uh, this was due to big asset managers uh, squeezing the uh, treasury and saying that we're not going to support you on the infrastructure fund, uh, which is again a trade-off <laughs> for prescribed assets. So I guess the, you know, what goes on in smoky rooms is is, mm. uh, is is quite distressing to uh, the rest of us. But that's their main. Uh, that's how they maintain it. Whatever happens, it's now been uh, put on hold until the 15th of December. How are you reading all of this? You know, there, there, there's a lot of um, conflicting issues. Let me try and explain it in, in a simple way. If we look at Glencore, it does very little business in South Africa. It's an overseas company, and yet it's regarded as a RAND investment. If we look at British American Tobacco, the same thing. If we Even if we look at NASPAS to an extent, NASPERS owns, I mean, most of the economic value comes from Tencent, and yet it's regarded as a RAND investment. So if you extrapolate that and take it through, I think the desire was to bring more investments like that here that would be regarded as perhaps RAND investments and, and not take up your foreign allowance. Because if they take up your foreign allowance, then there's very you're limited to 30%. So I think, so, so in my view, those are the conflicts. Now, you've got to decide what's foreign and what's not foreign. I think, I think the authorities are, are very mixed up over what to describe as foreign or not. If there's, you know, they, they might say, oh, well, NicePass has a tradition here. It's been here for a long time. It started off as Nationale Pers. Um, to an extent, um, I'm trying to think which other companies had it uh, as well. But, but overall, I think they've got to now finally decide what is RAND and what isn't. Um, I'm somewhere in the middle. You know, I, I think we have to expand our offshore allowances. In other words, to allow um, pension funds, those regulated by uh, Regulation 28, you know, to increase their exposure to uh, a lot more businesses than they are at the moment. But there's, it's terribly confusing and uh, a lot of conflicts, and I'm, I'm not the right person to see through it. But I, I, what I do want to say is that I would like some concessions uh, allowing Regulation 28 to expand a bit more, you know, to expand offshore a little bit more. We forget the, the basis of exchange control came from Sharpeville in 1960. It's really um, a, a legacy of the apartheid system. Mm. But of course, it protected the apartheid government from the bad policies that they were producing. And the mm. ANC government has continued with it as well. Anyway, let's not uh, get too deeply into that mm. conversation because yeah. I think that Adrian being a professor and a doctor will have his views on exchange control. And I hope they're not different to mine, Adrian. Um, I hope mm. you're not gonna say exchange control is a good thing. Mm. I'm, I'm scared to say anything with my microphone, uh, Alec. Um, <laughs> so you sound better now. I don't know what you did while you were okay. off camera. <laughs> okay. If uh, look, if it's if it's bad, then tell me and I'll kick out uh, because there's nothing worse than bad audio. Um, but hopefully uh, this uh, this is solved. If um, you know, if you take exchange control, there are very few instances of exchange control having had the desired effect. 
uh, often it leads to rent-seeking industries, and uh, you know South Africa has had its own experience with that. With um, uh, recall the financial rand and the commercial rand, um, uh, which it builds an entirely new industry where you can actually make money by you know uh, jockeying these two horses. Uh, the I, I do sit uh, with you in terms of this is a distinctly negative, uh, not unambiguously negative, but distinctly negative policy, uh, where we we have to scratch really really hard to find examples of uh, policy success. Uh, there are one or two uh, anecdotal cases, but they're exactly that they're anecdotal. Uh, in, in David's observation about, uh, you know, we need more, um, I think there's, 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 there's a yes and there is a no that I would add to that. Yes, we need more because the South African market has become uh, uh, a, it is not a fragmented and highly competed market where you've got lots of choices and optionality. In fact, you are fairly limited. So uh, I think that that's one aspect. And also investing on the JSC doesn't necessarily even give you South Africa. Uh, that's part of our conversation today. The, the caution, the caveat is that remember that one of the primary reasons why we're investing uh, is to look after our future selves in retirement. And if you are building a dollar-based portfolio, but you have RAND-based liabilities in 20 or 30 years' time, you might be entirely mismatching your assets and liabilities just to always be alive to that very, very real risk. Okay. Well, we've got our insights now from uh, the, the uh, two of our panelists, and we'll bring in today's guest. Uh, Basil Skordos is the uh, Chief Financial Officer, or uh, Group FD, of uh, Process NASPAS, a man that many of us are invested in, or certainly he looks after um, our investments, even though we might not be aware of it. Uh, I'm just, uh, there we go, Basil, you're on screen now, fantastic. Uh, David and uh, Adrian have got lots of questions to ask you as we go through this conversation today, but also, as mentioned at the outset, our business community members, our business premium members, um, do have the opportunity to pose their questions as well. But I think let's start off, David. Do you want to come back on screen, and uh, we'll we'll kick off with you. You can. You, uh, there are really three issues, I guess, that that one needs to have a look at with uh, with Basil today. Uh, the first of these is the discount between the share price uh, of Naspers Stroke Process and uh, Ten Cent. Can you just understand? Just just maybe unpack that a little bit for us, and I'm sure that would be one of your first questions, Dave. Yeah, sure. Look, NASPERS um, has a has a stake in Process, which has the stake in um, in Tencent. And the problem is that if you unpack that, and I'm going to ask a question now, if I, if I may lead straight into it, uh, Alec, what's happened is that you know if you look at the at the trading price of both of those, remember that Process now trades on Amsterdam, and of course it has a secondary listing in Johannesburg, and then we have Nasburs, which has the, the listing here. You know, if you unpack the value of those, they're trading at a deep discount to the major investment, which is in Tencent. And so I want to ask Basil a question because it it bothers me, and I I don't do I I must say you know as we as you would have gathered. Uh, we are big holders in um, in process and NASPES. Personally, I'm a big holder in process, you know, under my own portfolio, etc. When I looked at the results, and and I think this is the conundrum. When I looked at the results that came out recently, uh, which were the interim results, um, if you look at Tencent, it is still providing 111% of operating profit. In other words, all the other uh, subsidiaries, growth areas, classified, paid, uh, food delivery, e, you know, e-tail, etc., as well as mail.ru, actually contribute minus 11%. That gives you the 100%. Now, my my worry is that Tencent is still a very strong growth company. It's still growing uh, plus 30%, and for the next five years, we can see it growing 
at you know anywhere up to 25%, and definitely in do double digits. Even today, uh, China came out with some very good manufacturing numbers and have highlighted that their target is around about 4.5% growth. That will give them, um, you know, that will fit in with their plan. So if you've got Tencent, which makes up so much of uh, NASPERS and process, still growing at those kind of levels, what's the challenge for the others? Can you ever prevent, you know, what's the policy to prevent Tencent completely overwhelming the valuations and, uh, you know, continuing just to, to or I would say, create the discount or, you know, be responsible for the discount. Um, it just seems to be a, a massive challenge that Bob van Dyke and I would presume yourself, the executive, to actually grow those underlying business to prevent it from being overwhelmed. Yeah. Quite a few things to unpack there, but let's start off with the main one and, and Tencent. A successful business that does incredibly well and leads the world and creates lots of value doesn't create discounts. It creates great returns. What creates discounts are a whole bunch of other things, including the fact that we are, as Alec mentioned, 21% of the all share index, 28% of the SWECs. And unfortunately, what that means is for South Africa investors, as, our, as we create more value, as our share price goes up, people need to sell down the share because they can't hold 28% of one company. So that creates a dynamic. That's not the only thing. There's a whole bunch of other things, and, and some of it was covered by, by David's introduction. Um, look, let's, let's start off with Tencent and, and, and its position. So you're absolutely right, David. Tencent did phenomenally well. They grew their top line 28%. They grew their bottom line 32%. So margin. Um, I think if you look at the world today, there's only one economy, one economy in the world today that's going to deliver positive growth, and it's China, right? Everything else is going to go down anything between minus 7 to minus 10%, some, some even worse. Um, so, um, and and I think that differentiation is going to continue for, for years to come, and particularly in the online space. So, um, we remain very excited about China, very excited about Tencent's prospects, and very excited about being the larger shareholder there, and the opportunity and the returns that that's going to deliver for our shareholders. And um, yes, because of structural reasons, the discount may go up in the near term, but we'll talk about, I'm sure we'll get to what we want to do about that, and, 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 and we need to address that and, and make sure that we, we don't have too much value captured in the discount. Um, then you made some comments about the rest. Does it matter? Well, let's put some numbers behind that. Uh, not my valuations, the valuation of the 18 or so sell-side analysts who cover us, they value the rest of the portfolio, excluding Melru, excluding our investment in Trip.com, which is a travel aggregator in China, excluding those two. They value our e-commerce business at $30 billion. That matters. It matters in the South African context. That business is growing 51% year on year in the first half. And it's not a segment that's just being created, right? It's around now for 10 years, and we're seeing a meaningful acceleration of growth, an acceleration of 23%. So we grew 28%. Last year for the same period, we've grown 51 this year. Of those revenues, 60% of the revenues are now from profitable e-commerce businesses. And despite the fact that COVID impacted our classified business quite materially, those profits grew 20% year on year. If you rewind till, uh, if you rewind three, four, five years ago, less than 20% of the revenues from our e-commerce businesses were from profit businesses. The reason we have losses in the rest is because we see great opportunities to build some fantastic businesses. And the largest driver of the e-commerce losses right now is our food delivery business. And in fact, accounts for more than half of the investment through the income statement. 
and we've allocated a couple of billion dollars into that space, and it's worth multiples of that in a short period of time. Food delivery is going to be fundamentally transformed by technology. It's going to change how people eat. It's going to bring the benefits of scale and reducing costs and increased convenience and increased transparency, know what you're eating, know what you're buying. So um, those losses are not because we can't turn business, because we're uncovering new opportunities. The earlier stage businesses that we invested behind are big. They're growing faster than tension, and they're, they're also profitable. But like we've done over the past 100 years, we're discovering a whole bunch of new opportunities that, that we're excited about and we think will deliver incremental Thanks, Basil. On the screen now, I pulled out your uh, EBITDA, in other words, your operating profit, for the first six months of the financial year to the end of September. And it's quite clear there, Dave. Uh, as you can see there, Classified's made a, a small profit. Um, payments and FinTech made, uh, well, the profit was reduced in, in Classified's. Payments and FinTech was still the same losses, but a big improvement on food delivery. Um, e-tail uh, went from losses to profits. And I don't know what the other is, and surely Baz will be able to explain that to us. But my big question on all of this is, mm -hmm. look down, there's media. And I, I made a mention in my, my newsletter this morning that it, it's, it seems to be out on a limb. It seems to be uh, almost an afterthought now for this mighty NASPAS group. You have already unbundled multi-choice. Is the South African media asset uh, on the block now that it's starting to lose annualized 400 million a year? Yeah. A couple of things before we get to the media thing, because it's important that people understand that, that income statement. So, on classifieds, the reduction is really because this was the business that was most impacted by COVID, right? It's a person to person trading opportunity. We need to meet. You need to give me the car keys. I need to give you the cash. And, and that model, of course, is heavily impacted by COVID, but we've done a lot of investment and innovation to actually now move that increasingly online and become increasingly transaction, and we're seeing a good recovery. The other thing about classifieds is this an investment in that business to build out something different going forward in addition to what we do well now, and that is transactional business model. So get, get it from a person-to-person -person trade to a trade that happens through a platform, where there's escrow, the payment only gets released when the product gets to you, and, and, and covering everything from general goods to, to cars in that space. And in the payment business, again, um, the core payment business is profitable and the profits are growing. Um, what you see there, the losses, what brings the aggregate of the payment business down is investment in our fintech ecosystem in India, where we're looking to build a credit business. Of course, that's now temporarily on pause. You don't want to be sending people money through through a COVID pandemic, particularly when the government introduces debt moratoriums. Um, so there's, there's a bit of a carrying cost there. Now to get to the question of media, um, Media24, we could have actually included Media24 with, with Multi-Choice Group. We kept it in the portfolio um, because it is a fundamental different business to the one Multi-Choice does. And because it's really not a business that you can actually go and sell to someone today. People aren't out there looking uh, to buy media assets. And these type of businesses are not actually getting premium valuations at this point, primarily because we're seeing this massive transition from offline to online. And, and, and one needs to go through that journey. And I think the future of Media24 lies in online. I think 24.com's um, viewership, even its subscriptions, because it's now got a South African subscription model, a, a an English subscription model, an Afrikaans subscription model, and a couple of others, those are growing rapidly. They're growing very quickly. Um, they're also a shareholder in, in Superbless, together with Take-A-Lot, and that's still an investment business, but, but, but growing very quickly. So, yeah, they've had a tough time as a result of COVID, and um, they've had to absorb a lot, and they've had to um, reduce overhead and cut back costs. But I think the long-term future of 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 our media segment and, 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 and media24 and 24.com, um, it's a long journey. It's not going to be an easy journey. And the reason we've kept it in the group is because it can't stand on its own two feet right now, right? It, 
needs our support. Um, we still believe in, in the long-term future of media. We think it's incredibly important um, to, to South Africa, to, to, to the broader country, and um, it's going to be online. And that part of the business, despite COVID, is growing well. Revenues are growing. It's actually getting to profitability too um, in, in, in the foreseeable future. But there's quite a bit of work still to do there. And, and I think it's a multi-year journey before you get that business back onto a sustainable basis and then and then growing again and bringing improved profits. You don't have media assets in any other part of the portfolio. That's correct. Uh, we don't. Um, so our international focus was um, initially that's where we started with the internet, right? We started in internet media assets, and in fact, that's how the Tencent investment came about because it was in those days primarily, you know, an, an online media company, person-to-person -person communication with a portal and a website behind it. Um, but post that, we, we're squarely focused on e-commerce. Um, Fundamentally because I think the media world has changed. It's no longer, um, there are a few markets that have very strong national players, but with the advent of Facebook, Google and so forth, it's really become a global game. And, and secondly, while we like the space and it's hugely attractive, particularly in the online world and, and profitable, um, we've got to pick our shots. And when we look at the world of commerce, and transactions and put it against media in terms of absolute size, commerce is just, it's four or five times bigger. So um, if you invest in the right assets and if you are a growth company, it does actually make sense to, to invest in the bigger opportunity that is also more nascent, right? Because India is also more developed online than commerce is. And that's why we've made this conscious decision to focus on, on e-commerce outside of, um, and, and only hold on, the only media asset we hold on to now is Media24 for the reasons that I've explained. Thanks, Basil. We got lots of questions from our community already, but Adrian, your first turn to bat, uh, how would you like to, what would you like to pose to Basil? Thanks, Alec. Uh, well, thanks for your time. It's great to be with you. Uh, the S South African corporate landscape is littered uh, with failed M&A, uh, especially or in particular in putting this question to cross-border M&A, where many South African uh, giants have ventured into other markets and come back uh, beaten up, bruised, uh, lots of battle scars. Your experience has been very different, and I would. Uh, I, what is it that distinguishes you in your culture, in your uh, transacting? What is it that um, has uh, has helped you really distinguish yourself? And then, you know, in giving attention to uh, your portfolio, you've got operations and investments. Uh, multi-geography. I mean, you really are a global operation, although you're known for China. Uh, you are in Russia, Poland, uh, Brazil, Colombia. Where do you see, and I, if I could ask that we leave aside size, that we don't worry about the biggest market, but which of those markets excites you the most or intrigues you the most? Where do you see the best opportunity and perhaps uh, it would not be an investment question if I didn't say uh, or add to that the biggest country risk. Yeah. Great questions. Good to see you and thank you for these. So yeah, we made lots of mistakes before we became mildly successful in the MA space. So you have to be willing to make mistakes, right? You have to be willing to learn and you can't learn from some textbook or some sort of playbook and say or take what you did in South Africa. It's okay, we're just going to go and carbon copy that and make that business in that country better, right? So I think the first step in, in going abroad, going overseas is not to bet the bank. Um, is okay, make some small investments, make, um, you know, see what you learn from it. 
start to develop a model, start to develop a thesis, and then go bigger. Um, but you need to learn very quickly because, I mean, you know better than I how the capital flows are working out there, right? And how much increasingly capital is coming to these private opportunities, sort of pre-IPO pre and, 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 and traditional IPO investors are actually backing these startup companies. So um, there's lots of demand for, for these things. But, but we've learned a, a lot of things um, over the years. The first thing is, um, if you're going to get into a new space, a new country, make sure that if it doesn't go well, that you can actually absorb that impact and still can build and do other things with the business. If you extend yourself too much, um, no matter how confident you are, you don't control everything, particularly in another country. So um, be ready for that. Once, once you've right-sized the investment, um, the, things we, the other things we've learned is this idea of, well, we're going to take the great businesses we have in South Africa, and we've got wonderful business in South Africa. In fact, we've got, one of, we've got some of the best-run companies, I think, right? Mm -hmm. And many of these companies are surviving some really, really tough conditions, but they're there, and they're out there, and they're still growing. Great businesses, great, great management, um, and, and doing well. To go now and say, well, because I do well here, I can go do equally well there, and all I need to do is transport the best people I have in my South African team into that country, and it's all going to be fine. That that works in limited cases, right? Um, and in limited industries, where you're looking to break new ground, build for the future. So you're buying tomorrow's business, not yesterday's business. Um, you've got to build it locally and you've got to build it with local people. And more importantly, in the world that we're in now, so five years ago, the world was, let's open up and let's be global and trade, let's remove barriers, right? That's all changing now, right? We're going, for, for various reasons, we're going a lot more inward looking. And um, therefore, it's increasingly important that um, the company that's there is seen as a local champion it's seen as someone that's doing something for the country and um and is developing a product for the country so um our businesses are not uniform although they're in the similar segment similar space local execution is key so that's the other thing we do you've got to make a conscious choice when you go overseas do you do you want to go for a, a business model that's global and therefore take on the titans, whether it's the American companies or the Chinese companies or, or some of the European companies, and we've decided not to do that. Or do you want to go for businesses that are very strong local businesses where you can build local moats? And we've preferred to focus there. And to do that, you've actually got to also set up the right operating model. So Bob, myself, board we don't sit and run our 84 countries that we're in and our similar number of businesses via remote control so we don't sit in this big room with all these dashboards and make the decisions we empower entrepreneurs we power local people who have built these businesses crappy guys right who've just built it with nothing mortgaging their houses mortgaging the garages getting to something meaningful who really want to change people's lives really have a vision about things. And, and those are the sort of people we back, and we let them get on with it. We don't sit and tell them every week, every month, well, this is what you got to do. you got to go left, go right, no, you got to do this. You don't do that. What we do is we spend time with them, understanding what the challenges are. Sometimes in the early years, it's just, how do I scale? You know, I've got to do all this financial stuff now. I've got to do all this legal compliance stuff. I've got to do all this tax stuff. And then I've got to also do the product and tech. How we can take care of all of that. We've done that for 100 years. We've done it well. Leave that with us. You focus on the product, focus on the consumer. We'll set that up initially. And then when you're ready and you become big and you want to be listed, it's your takeover again. Then the other thing is geographic diversity is beautiful for us because for many reasons. One, I mean, you know better than deny that having a diverse portfolio can mitigate risk um, but more importantly it cre creates opportunities for learning so we have a food delivery business 
in Brazil, one in Russia, Tencent's the biggest investor of the largest one in China. And then you bring these people together and you give them a sense of belonging, all part of the same group, right? No one wants to eat someone else's in, 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 in that particular country. And then the openness starts and then the sharing starts and then the learning starts. And, and that's differential. It, it, you can't replace that, right? Just getting five entrepreneurs who are building some of the fantastic businesses in their markets together and talking about local differences, local nuances, helping each other succeed. So, so those are some of the things that, that work for us, right? So initially, yes, you've got to take risk. Sometimes you've got to take big risk, but make sure that if it goes wrong, you can survive it and your long-term strategy remains intact. I think sometimes people go too far believing too much in themselves. Second, um, we've know who your competitors are going to be, not today, but in five, in 10 years. And then understand how you differentiate yourself because everyone has capital, everyone has an idea, but what, what's the unique source? What allows you to build better businesses than someone else? And related to that, I think pick, pick where you want to focus, right? Prioritize your capital correctly, pick where you want to focus. And then try and build around that and do too many things. Basil, I think uh, David did mention that he wanted to talk a little more about the discounts. We've got a number of questions here. And just to remind you that I only use your first name to make sure that uh, we don't embarrass you if you want to ask a tough question. Here's one from Pitt, which is a tough question for you. I'll read it. Uh, he says, looking at the segmental review, it's clear that Naspas is an investment company in which Tencent makes up more than the total economic interest. NASPAS management has the benefit of Chris Becker's genius. I can't but help question the remuneration policy of NASPAS. Isn't NASPAS performing because of Tencent and in spite of current management? I'm sure this isn't the first time you've heard this criticism, Basil. How do you answer it? A couple of things. First of all, we always appreciate feedback from our shareholders and um, the board and the Remco and everyone else takes that on board and um, the remuneration policy continues to evolve. Um, I'm the CFO, not, not the Remco chair, not the, um, not the um, head of people. And um, in my 25 years with the group, I've never asked for a salary, never. I, I take what they give me and I carry on doing my job because I, I love what we do and um, I haven't had the same day in the last 25 years. But to the point of, well, we're just benefiting from courses work and, and just sort of riding along. I'd say a couple of things. First of all, um, Bob and I have been in, in the hot seat now for six years. Our capital allocated into e-commerce, which is what we've essentially driven and built, uh, was about, in total, about $11, $12 billion. The value, not my value, the value that the analysts put on the portfolio is north of $30 billion. The implied IRRs, including the failures, is 20%. Not over one year, not over two, not over three, but six. Um, then the relationship with Tencent is not we just sit there and watch how it all goes. We spend lots of time with them, learning, understanding, seeing how we can bring a lot of the good things they do into our business. So we've learned engineering scale from them. We've learned a lot of things from them. And similarly, sharing our ideas and experience what we see around the world so that they can bring that into their business. And, and I think that relationship makes both businesses much stronger. And it's hard to put a value on that, either for them or for us. Um, but I think it's sizable, incredibly sizable. So um, that's not just something that happens overnight, right? And then someone's got to make the choices that we make. If you look at the actual remuneration, if you unpack it a little bit, um, the bulk of our remuneration now comes out of building out the e-commerce business. And then, the second highest component of our remuneration today is what we call performance share units. And essentially the way this works is 
we've got to outperform. Um, and, and this is excluding Tencent, right? The performance hurdle is excluding Tencent. We look at the performance of, of the e-commerce portfolio relative to its global peers. And for those options to vest for us, our performance has got to at least it's got to hit certain thresholds. And of course, the better the performance, the more options that there. So really, the remuneration policy now is not aligned at rewarding us for tents, and it's 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 focused on building out the e-commerce business, and it drives that focus by um, having these having um, options around the actual e-commerce business on its own. And then these performance share units, which are obviously shares in, in the combined entity, but the performance criteria is driven by how much the value of, of our e-commerce business grows relative to the broader market. David, uh, I do have a lot of questions from the community, but I, I think it's uh, your turn next. Do you want to revisit that uh, discount story? Because if you do, I've got a nice graph here. <laughs> 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 we can come on to that. I, I I don't know if you want to do that, but I've my my question is more about um, with Tencent being so much of the economic value of Process and NASPES, there are risks, and uh, you know we learned that the Chinese authorities sometimes can clamp down. We saw it with Ant and Alibaba, where they did exercise their um, or, or, or put Jack Ma in his place. Um, I don't know when Ant will ever be, or if it will ever be listed again, or or, or listed. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of work to be done. We've also had issues like the WeChat problems in America, although I think the market seems to bypass them. The big question is about China. You know, uh, China is not the kind of uh, area, or the authorities are not the kind of people who will be messed around by uh, the billionaires, by the growing um, you know the growing uh, commerce population or the growing entrepreneurs. How 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 do you read China and how do you manage that relationship? You know, in other words, what kind of a risk um, are they to Tencent getting a little too big for their boots? You know, to put it in the uh, just common parlance. Not saying that you are, but I mean, what's what's the risk of them clamping down on you? And just to before you answer that, uh, for for way of background sure. for those who haven't been following the story, the biggest IPO in history in the world was Ant Financial, a, a subsidiary of Alibaba, which is very many ways uh, like Tencent, and that was pulled two days before it was supposed to happen by the authorities, who have made no uh, bones about the fact that they felt, as David says, they did not like what the CEO of Alibaba, Jack Ma, had to say about the bureaucracy in the in the run-up to what should have been a spectacular listing. So there's a lot of issues here, and, and uh, clearly what's happening in Hong Kong at the moment, Basil, with it being uh, strong-armed by the Chinese authority, would also be raising a few flags. You must be talking to institutional investors on this very often. Yeah. Um, so, a couple of things. First of all, um, regulation tends to lag new industries. It's happened. It's been like that since the beginning of time, because regulators have to get up to speed, understand exactly what's going on in the business, exactly understand how this technology works, what's the broader impact, and then they have to step in and regulate. And um, We've seen relation change, not just in China, but across the world. I mean, we talk about China, we talk about Alibaba, we talk about Jack Ma, but look at what's happening in the US. The Google CEO, the Facebook CEO, Amazon, and, and so the story goes. So I think any company, any big company that believes it can continue as it does without any incremental regulation, I think is fooling itself. Um, Regulations required. There's no way a company can regulate itself for the broader social good, right? There needs an element of regulation. But of course, regulation shouldn't stifle growth, innovation, investment, jobs. So that's the balance that that 
that the politicians need to strike. And, and in the case of China, um, there's two key pieces that have come to the fore. The one is, of course, like every other country, um, China saying, look, we want to, they've tightened up um, antitrust regulation and they've said that um, they want to make sure that the companies that are buying other companies or companies that are consolidating spaces are, are reviewed and, and held to a particular standard and that standard needs to evolve because of where the market is at, because of who the players are. The other thing they want to push is openness, so they don't want these platforms to be closed where they only benefit themselves and not the broader ecosystem. So that's one aspect of the regulation. And the other aspect relates to the fintech businesses, and, 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 and we'll get to that one later. On the former, look, I think there's no doubt regulation is going to have impact, not only on but on every Chinese, every large Chinese business, whether it's ByteDance, Alibaba, Tencent, Baidu, some, everyone's going to have an impact. And the same way regulation has an impact on Google, on Amazon, on Tencent. But look, this is where we were also many, many years ago. I think most of us will remember it, maybe not all our, our, our listeners and viewers, but remember the days of this is the end of Microsoft. No, now they need to unbundle Internet Explorer and they can't do this with Windows and they can't do that. And yes, initially it was a cost to Microsoft. What it did is it actually made Microsoft a better company. They, 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 they continued their spirit of innovation. They continued their spirit of creation. They understood, the, they understood how they needed to do that in the context of the new regulatory regime. And I think Companies that take that approach will, will continue to do well. Companies that want to fight it and who believe, well, no, we don't need anything, just let us carry on, we can do it all ourselves. I think I think if, if you if you resist and you live in, 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 in a world where where you think nothing should change, then then you're gonna have a problem. Um, now if you look at Tencent's platform, Tencent is a very open platform. It's like Facebook, Google. It actually only grows the more and more companies that come into it, right? So Tencent isn't about keeping everything closed, everything to itself. It wants to bring more companies into the platform, more opportunities. Secondly, Tencent doesn't want to go and buy 100% of a company. What it wants to do, like us, it goes into companies that are building products, new things, and that, that, that might be really good long term. And it gives them capital. It gives them strategic support. It gives them executional support. And it lands up a 15, 20, 25% investor. It's unlike a e-tail business, like Alibaba's, for example, where integration and just controlling the entire chain from start to end is so, so critical to the overall customer experience. So there you've got to acquire 100% of the company. You've got to integrate it into everything else you do so that the experience just slick across the board. So, so, so there's challenges there. But nonetheless, I think Alibaba will continue to do well. China, like every other country, wants big players. They want players who can stand up in, in the global arena and, 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 and make their contribution. But like every other country, it can't let them carry on unfettered and, and, and unregulated. If we look at the Alibaba situation and the Alipay situation and the end financial situation. Look, I think at the core, and go, ah, oh, as you said, at, 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 at a conference, the Chinese don't pull together regulation in the span of four hours and then put it out there to sort of um, kill an IPO. It's not how they operate. They're very thoughtful, very considered about how um, they draft regulation, how they put it together um, around the internet space and so forth. So I think this regulation that's come to the fore has been something that's been in the works for, for a period of time. And the regulation's pretty straightforward. This is what they say. They say, listen, today you're a significant player in the, financial, in the Chinese financial ecosystem, but only 2% of your balance sheet is at risk. The remaining 98% is actually cash that comes from the, from the traditional sector. It's the big banks, ICBC, Bank of China, China Construction, 
China Agricultural, all those big banks. And at the end of the day, they trust you to do all the right things, manage the risks, manage the compliance and so forth. But um, ultimately, you don't do as much as they do. So um, that's what they want to address. And they say, we feel you should have at least 30% of the skin in the game. And that's not unusual. It's not unusual. It's, it's not a China-specific thing. In fact, most markets have similar type regulation. Um, so I think at the core, yes, the world's changed. Um, there's a lot to be said about the politics, about who's in charge and what they're doing. But at the core, no country wants to go and stifle growth of its companies. No company wants to kill multi-billion dollar IPOs but they want to address systemic risks, right? And um, the Chinese do it in their way and some countries do it in the other way and some countries don't even do it at all. So um, indeed, the world's changing, China's changing, regulation's going up and you need to be prepared for it. And, and the way you deal with it is you make your submissions, you participate in the public forums, you express your views, you try to get people to a balanced outcome. And then once, once the regulation's passed, focus on complying. Focus on making sure that you can comply and, and then build the future around build the future around what those regulations are. If you can still build the future, there's nothing that stops you. They just want you to do certain things that are aimed at mitigating the potential societal or financial or other systemic risk you might cause to the country. That's classic entrepreneurship 101. You work within the boundaries that you're given, uh, not necessarily trying to uh, rail against the boundaries that have been put there, and I guess more than ever in China. Uh, Zain, I'm sure that that answers your question as well. Uh, Basil, we are already getting close to the end, and I really don't want to miss out on the big issue that many South African investors have. So with your permission, Adrian, I'd like to put this graph up here, which shows the discount widening between NASPAS, which is the orange uh, line and 10 cent, which is the blue line. And it's never been as big as it is right now between the two companies. What are you guys going to do about it? Because just for, for the uninitiated, if NASPAS were able to reduce that discount to what it used to be, you're talking about a, a substantial increase in the share price, uh, which of course would add great value to all of South Africans, given that you're 21% of the JSE. Indeed, Alec, that represents a great opportunity for value unlock, and um, we see it, and we understand it, and our shareholders want us to do something about it, and we agree with them, and we're hard at work thinking through what we can do and how we do it. Um, look, conglomerate companies always trade at a discount, right? And they vary from 20 to 30, and in fact, over the past year, because of the impacts in the markets broadly, conglomerate discounts have gone up. But a discount, to, so at the NASPAS level, the discount to NAV is 52%, and that can't be explained by general market conditions. And, and there's a couple of things that drive it. One thing is, of course, our size and it's for selling. The other is, yeah, we are SA list, then there's significant FDA outflow and as the biggest company we bear the brunt of that and, and so forth but again we can't control those things right it is what it is we can't go now and bring another 50 companies of equivalent size to bring down our weighting so what we've got to do is figure out and understand the circumstances understand the conditions and figure out a way to continue to to to, to bring that number down um, and but Whatever we do, we've got to be clear and do it in such a way that it doesn't impact the long-term position of the group and the long-term strategy and the opportunity for us to continue to deliver the excellent returns we have to, to our South African and global investors. Um, and it's a complex problem. There's tax considerations, there's other regulatory considerations, there's shareholder considerations. And, and Bob and I and the team have been hard at work now. And, and the one thing, and, and the thing we've done this year, and we started very early, the minute 
We saw COVID come and we saw the impact that it had on South Africa and the impact it was having on online business like ours. We saw that that disconnect was going to accelerate quite meaningfully. And you can see that very clearly in your graph, right? Um, um, so we, we saw that the problem was going to get quite big. Well, it was already big. It was going to get much bigger in a relatively short period of time. So we really started our work um, many months ago. And, and, and our approach here is not to exclude anything. We're looking at everything. You know, we've looked at 20 plus ideas and not just at a desktop research level. We've looked at it substantially. We've taken every idea, even though initially we said, no, those can't work. And we've unpacked them and thought, well, yeah, they can't work because of X, Y, Z. Can we solve those things? And um, as a result, we've, we've built up significant IP. There's, 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 there's a couple of things that we need to think through. And ultimately, um, we'd like to come back with something that brings that discount down. But it's not going to be one thing. Clearly, it's going to have to be a whole bunch of things. The most important thing is that we continue to remain disciplined around capital allocation, continue to invest at a good return, build these high, these fast growing and profitable businesses, and, and continue to build on our strategy, while also taking sensible moves where we can to not, uh, to address some of the structural issues that, that are there or, or, or find other ways of, of dealing with it. And, and the good thing about this, while it may, while it is a big value opportunity, the good thing is th there are many ideas, right? And um, I think we'll figure out stuff. Um, it's not going to be one silver bullet. It's, it'll have to be an ongoing journey, right? And um, we'll have to try things as as we go along. But most importantly, the most important thing we can do is continue to grow the business and and deliver good profits and cash flows. So, so I can't say much more than that now because we haven't settled on what we could do and, and, and the board needs to discuss it and debate it first. And then, of course, if they are, if some of these ideas resonate with the board and, and they're supportive, we'll come back and tell our shareholders and engage them on it and, and, and get the views and perspectives as, um, as we move forward. But this is important to everyone and, and we're working very hard at it and we recognize the opportunity to create incremental value beyond what we do with, with our core portfolio. So the key answer there, and, and Len asked the same question as well, is that uh, you are fully aware of what the issue is. So you, this isn't a, a graph that you've never seen before. You are investing $5 billion in a share buyback, which will certainly underpin uh, the, the current level of shares. But it's a package that, uh, that you're working on, and uh, watch this space as far as we're concerned. Adrian? Your last question, I'm afraid. We've got to that point in the conversation already. Yeah, uh, thanks, Alex. So I, I, if we could go back to the question that Basil sort of alluded to, but uh, skipped over. Uh, you've got uh, Vito, um, uh, Russia, you've got OLX Poland, you've got iFood Brazil. Can I ask you to give me back a tweet? Which country? Uh, you think is the standout country? Yeah. Sorry, Adrian, I did. You're absolutely right. I forgot to answer that question. I wasn't trying to duck it either. <laughs> um, look, I think it really depends on the business and the business model, right? So it's going to vary from, but in our business, in the things we, in, in our model, where we try to identify early trends, local modes, you know, some of the things we spoke about earlier, You've got to look at India, and it's not just about its size, right? Yes, it is a big market, but it's about its growth. It'll recover from COVID, it will grow very quickly, but also about its models. And I think we're seeing a lot more models that are that are um, very local to the Indian market. Indian trade, Indian commerce, it's very unique, and I think. There, there's great engineering talent in India. There's great entrepreneurs in India. So the broader, and, and there's good regulatory support. So they're trying to move payments online so that they can track things better, right? And tax things better. Um, they're building payment infrastructure. Not only are they creating regulation, but they're building the infrastructure centrally at the government level to support those type of initiatives, right? They're um, creating a, a vibrant um, ecosystem for 
capital to come in for um, for new ideas, new opportunities, and to build the local companies. They want to build these local champions, right? So that's that's a market that we're very excited about. We've been in it for a very long time, already uh, made some good investments and realized great value with our Flipkart investment, which had mm -hmm. an IRR of close to 30%. So, um, and, and, and a lot more. We've allocated quite a bit of capital over the last year, and I think we'll allocate a lot more going forward. Basil, the last question from our community is from Gary, and he says, if you think the non-10 cent business is worth $30 billion, why don't you spin it off separately and realize shareholder value for these loss-making entities? Certainly, we've listed companies. Tencent wasn't listed when we got into it. Malru wasn't listed. Delivery Hero wasn't listed, and we'll list others. So yes, that is one op that is one way to create value, but there comes real there comes a real cost with being listed. It takes time. It takes effort. It distracts management. Um, you also don't want to leave too much value on the table. So I think you've got to pick the right time and 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 and, and the right reasons. So. Um, We'll list many more businesses, and absolutely, I think Lenny's right. It's a good way to reflect value, but um, it, it has to be more than that, and, and the business needs to be ready for it, and the management team needs to be ready for it. So in time, th that's certainly one of the things we can do, and, and it's one that, that we will look at seriously. Basil, before we let you go, do you lose sleep at I, night thinking thinking that you have 21% of, uh, of South Africans' savings sitting on, on your shoulders? That responsibility? Um, it's it's something that we take seriously. It's something that we um, understand the importance of. And um, indeed, um, it's, it is a big responsibility, but um, it's not a burden because I think we've got the right governance structure, we've got the right approach. We've got a diversified portfolio. We're in the right businesses, in the right markets, in the right segments. And and, and our, our approach and strategy is tried and tested. So um, I feel confident about our ability to continue to make a positive contribution to, to our shareholders and our investees. And um, that's why I exist. That's why Bob exists. That's why everyone in this company exists. We ultimately to value for our shareholders and to do it in a sustainable way not over one year, two years, three years, but over 20, 30, 40, as we've done so far. And that comes with um, a lot of hard work and um, not just about taking risk. It's about having the right sustainability and, and governance structures around that as well. Basil Skodos, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, we, we've covered a lot of ground, David Shapiro um, and Adrian uh, Saville, if you and just come back quickly, if you don't mind, to to, to perhaps sum up there. Uh, we do have NASPAS as a as a major holding in our portfolio, uh, in our business portfolio. It's done very well. I was looking at uh, before we came on air, 38% in the past year, and you just can't sell it at these huge discounts. But uh, from what you heard from Basil, are you guys? Um, if you do have uh, as I presume you do, I think you said so, David, a, a, a big NASPAS shareholding. Are you happy that it's in good hands and uh, you might even think of adding more given that they want to close that discount at 52%? My goodness. You know, you're going, going off and buying yourself a burger for half price on this one. David? <laughs> you're muted, Dave. Sorry. Um, I've been a great supporter of of NASPES and uh, and uh, certainly you know even processed. I think I want to bring it back to the first question you asked me, you know, which was about uh, the regulations that the uh, Reserve Bank brought in. And when you listen to Basil, when you talk to Basil, you listen to the questions that Adrian, you know, that Adrian's asked and so on. You have to sympathise with investors in South Africa, you know, and saying, hold on. There's a much bigger picture out there. You've got to open up. I understand matching assets and liabilities, you know, but but to an extent, this this lies with the investment managers themselves, you know, mm -hmm. knowing what the liabilities are and and where they can have growth. 
And, uh, you know, as Adrian said as well, the JSC is becoming so restrictive. It's becoming so small that you can't close out uh, those kind of opportunities to us. You know, when, when Basil tells you about the classified businesses, the, the you know, the, 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 the uh, food delivery and so on. India. So, what about India? Yeah, we don't India, know a thing course. about India. It's their favorite destination. Wow. <laughs> it's, it's so fragmented. It's so difficult to understand. But somewhere along the line, people are going to make money. But anyway, fascinating conversation. And what's more, well done, Alec, you know, for bringing Basil uh, to the viewers and to listeners. Thank you. You're happy to you're happy to have the nice person in your portfolio, or would you even be oh, adding? Yeah. <laughs> of course, I'm adding. <laughs> I love Tencent. <laughs> Adrian, uh -huh. last word on your side. Uh, long process, even longer NASPERS. Uh, if you've got these these types of discounts, this diversification, I understand all of the uh, issues around uh, you know that deep discounts and uh, questions around uh, remuneration and you know oh, oh, should we really be paying for this? You've got to park all of those to the side um, and recognize that what you are buying here is a world class business for fifty cents in the rand. Um, and, and I'm a buyer. Adrian Savile, well put. That's exactly what it is. So to actually sell NASPAS out of your portfolio, uh, you're really taking a, a, a view that that discount, uh, that margin of safety, as Benjamin Graham put it famously, what's it, nearly 100 years ago, uh, is something that is not big enough for you. Well, if it isn't big enough at 52%, goodness me, what are you looking for? Thanks, gents. It's been a, a, another wonderful um, Rational Radio webinar. Look forward to chatting with you again in the near future. Adrian and David, now that you're back from your holidays and your travels in the Kruger Park, we'll, we'll be back next week. Till the next time. Cheerio. Thank you for joining us for this webinar, which is compiled and produced by the team at biznews.com. A recording of this webinar will be available later today on the biznews.com channel on YouTube. From our team, until the next time, cheerio.